0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: Jesus here is teaching them that those that they might be tempted to think of as unimportant, insignificant, or undesirable are the very ones he loves and the very ones his kingdom will be made up of and the ones he will ultimately avenge. That's what he's saying.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Mark, chapter 9, verses 33 through 50, in a message titled, Jesus and the Little Ones. Now, here's Pastor Brian.
1: So here we are today picking up our study here in the Gospel of Mark and coming now to the final portion of this ninth chapter here. Our focus today is going to be on verses 42 through 50, but we needed to read the larger portion of the passage to get the context in order to understand why Jesus suddenly shifted to a warning about the realities of hell. This is really, it's a little bit difficult to follow the train of thought, but that's what we want to do. Now there's three different places in the New Testament where similar language is used speaking on the topic of hell. And as a matter of fact, it it would have been easy to kind of just give a message on that subject today, even though that's not a real popular subject, it would have been easy to give a message on that, the subject of hell and judgment. But the important thing for us is we have to understand what the scripture says in its context. And so there's a context here. There's all that we're reading here, it it all goes together. It all happened in relation to the dispute that the disciples were having. They were having this dispute, you remember, we read it here about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. And so everything that that follows that record of that dispute, it, it's all connected together. And so Jesus, it's just in a sense, you look at it and think, well, what does this mean? How does this sudden turn toward this severe warning about Judgment. how does that fit into the picture? Because Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking to those men that he is grooming and equipping and preparing to go out into the world and to be his representatives. And so what do they have to do with the dangers of hell? Because after all, you know, they're his guys. But as we look closely what we're going to see is that Jesus is speaking to them, but he's speaking with future generations of leadership in mind. Now, Jesus knows there's going to be a church. He's establishing a church. He knows that there are going to be people who are going to lead that church into the future. And what Jesus wants to establish here is what the heart of church leaders is to be that's really what what the whole passage is about and so the teaching on true greatness because that's really the issue right they're having a dispute about who's the greatest so the teaching on true greatness is completely counterintuitive to human reasoning on the matter And Jesus wants these men who he's going to appoint to lead, he wants them to understand what true greatness is. True greatness is being a servant. True greatness is not seeking to lord over people, but to come and serve people. And so because the apostles were no exception, and and they themselves were clueless So Jesus undertakes to instruct them on what and who really mattered before God. So that's what he's doing here. Now, from the point of the dispute, everything that we read after that, the event itself and the things that followed and and the examples in all of this, what's happening is... Jesus is correcting them on their wrong idea about greatness. And he's illustrating the point of who are important to God and who are never to be despised, shunned, overlooked, or neglected by them as God's servants. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, never, I'll summarize, what what he's really getting at here? Never ever despise the little people that I came to save. So he is instilling this in the first leaders of the church, so that the successive generations of leaders would understand the priority of Jesus. Because we see already they're they're, they're thinking wrongly. So their their model is all right, power, we're going to have power. We're with Jesus and I'm going to be the greatest. No, I'm going to be the greatest. Well, I'm going to sit on his right hand. No, I'm going to sit on his right hand. And so they're, they're modeling the world's idea of power. They're also modeling the ideas of the religious elite of the day, because the religious elite of the day made up of the Sadducees, the priestly group and the Pharisees, they lorded over the people. They had no real care or concern for the average person. As a matter of fact, there's one point where John records this for us, where somebody says about Jesus how the report back was, this man speaks like no one's ever spoke. And they said, have any of the Pharisees believed in him? But this common people, this rabble, these people who don't know anything, they're the only ones that are following him. You see, that was their attitude. Their attitude was to look down on the common people. And that's the very attitude that Jesus is not going to tolerate. And that's why he gives such a severe warning here. It's a very severe warning that those who take that attitude toward his people, they, unless that's repentative, of, they will end up in hell. <laughs> that's what he's saying. He's giving like a stern warning for all future church leaders To take very seriously his love for all the people. And and that's really what the context of the passage is communicating. And of course, as we go through the rest of the New Testament, we see that that was a problem that began even in apostolic times, that there were false teachers that rose up that cared nothing for the people but sought to gain power over them so they might exploit them and it started in the apostolic era the apostles fought that throughout their entire ministries but it went on and on and on in the history of the church right down to this very day and so that's the context for the statement that Jesus is making here it's not just a random let me change the subject and talk about hell it is let me warn you about where those who despise those that I love, let me warn you about where they end up. That is essentially what Jesus is saying. So, the little ones, that's who Jesus is concerned for here. Now, I, I want you to notice in the in the verses that we read, you have four different references to The little ones the first is the little children first of all Jesus uses a child as an example an actual child then you have another reference to the the seeming you know little ones or the little people and that would be in someone who does not follow us so John's word somebody who doesn't follow us was casting out demons in your name and we forbid him So it's a dismissal of the person. He doesn't follow us. Then Jesus speaks of whoever gives a cup of water in my name. And then he says, finally, in verse 42, the little ones who believe in me. Now, in in every one of those references, Jesus is talking about the same people. He's talking about, again, the little people, the common people he's talking about, first of all, little children. Well, little children in the minds of many were not of that much importance. I mean, you know, after all, these are just children. It's like children should be uh, seen and not heard and, and all of that sort of thing, just dismissive of the little children. And then someone who doesn't follow us. Well, this person's not one of us, so we don't need to have any real Care or concern for that person. And then whoever gives a cup of water in my name, well, this is a person, a cup of water. What is that? I mean, that's nothing. This is a person who is is not of much worth. And then finally, when Jesus uses the term the little ones who believe in me, the words mean those who are deemed insignificant. It doesn't mean little, like little children. He's already spoken of little children. But what he's referring to here now are those who are deemed insignificant or of no value. And in a parallel passage in Matthew 18, that is clarified because Jesus says there, he says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for the son of man has come to save that which was lost. In other words, what Jesus is saying, do not consider anybody as unsavable or anybody as unworthy of salvation because of your evaluation of them. So that's what Jesus is talking about here. So Jesus here is teaching them that those that they might be tempted to think of as unimportant, insignificant, or undesirable are the very ones he loves and the very ones his kingdom will be made up of, and the ones he will ultimately avenge. That's what he's saying. That he will be the avenger of those little ones that are despised by those who look down upon them and see themselves as more important. And so Jesus is saying, in my kingdom and among my leaders, that mentality will not be tolerated that mentality will be a judgment and anyone with that mentality Jesus is so severe he says it would be better for that person if a millstone were tied around their neck and they were cast into the depth of the sea so if a person in the position of spiritual leadership if that person stumbles, meaning if that person turns people away from Christ because of a condescending, self-righteous, you're not worthy, God doesn't care about you or love you, Jesus said that person is in danger of judgment. And he, of course, allows for repentance because he says, if your hand offend you cut it off, if your feet cut them off, if your eye pluck it out. In other words, get right with God. Change that attitude. Now, I mentioned here those who really matter to God. That's what, that's what Jesus is teaching them. So here's the question. Who really matters to God? Well, on the one hand, of course, the answer is obvious. Everybody matters to God, right? Because Jesus died for the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. So we can confidently say that everybody matters to God. And it doesn't matter if you're rich and famous or if you're poor and obscure, it doesn't matter. None of those things really matter in one sense because God loves everyone and he cares about everyone. But we do have to recognize that God does have a soft spot for the underdog, and that is revealed all throughout scripture. Uh, he cares about widows. He cares about orphans. He cares about refugees. He cares about the poor. He cares about the oppressed. And they have a, a special place in his heart. You see, the truth of the matter is Jesus is, he's the real champion of the poor. He's the real champion of, of the common people. And we can never forget that. You see, there's no one insignificant to Jesus. And as we see Jesus in his ministry, you know, if you think about the ministry of Jesus, I was thinking about this in preparation to teach us, I was thinking about how you know Jesus basically just ignored the, the high and powerful elite of the day. He he spent his time with the people that no one wanted to spend their time with. That's, that's who he came and he ministered to. He ministered to just, you know, the everyday average person whose life was broken and who was struggling with, you know, maybe economically or maybe physically through illness or maybe they had been ostracized beca- uh, socially because of their behavior or whatever those are the people that jesus came and ministered to and so even though god of course loves everyone and everyone matters to him there is that soft spot in the heart of the lord and there is also the reminder in scripture that god resists the proud see that's the issue here it's the issue of a of a prideful heart that sees oneself as superior to others and and looks down on any group of people. And that's the proud. And God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And this is what we see in Jesus' dealing with people. Remember, in in that one uh, story, Jesus spoke of... um, a camel going through the eye of a needle. When a rich man came to Jesus and said, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus you know, laid things out for him. And that person walked away because they had great wealth. The disciples were amazed. And Jesus said to them, he said, it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for those who have riches to enter the kingdom. He's not saying rich people can't be saved. He's not saying he doesn't love rich people or care for rich people. The problem is on the part of the rich. They trust in their riches. They see their riches as something that makes them above and better than others. And, of course, obviously acceptable to God. I mean, I'm not like these other people. Look at me. I've succeeded in life. I've done well. I've uh, made a name for myself. That's the kind of attitude that Jesus is talking about. And Jesus himself said in another place he said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to the little ones. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. See, that's the heart of Jesus. He said, Father, this was wise that you did this the wise and the learned. Again, he's talking about people who are wise in their own eyes. They're learned. They're above all of this. They're, they're not like the rabble. They're not like just, you know, these, these common people down here that don't know anything. Jesus said, Father, you hid these things from them and you revealed these things to the little ones. And Paul, the apostle would pick up on the same idea and writing to the Corinthians, he would say, for you see your calling that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. Now, when Paul says God has chosen the foolish things of the world, he's talking about the perspective of the world toward the people that God has chosen the world looks on and says, oh, those, those people are foolish. I mean, who would be interested in those people? Who cares about them? They're not part of the elite. They're not part of the, those who are sophisticated and looked up to and respected. In their minds, they're foolish. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things to put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. So this is the way God has worked historically. He resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And so once again, In the context, the passage about hell here, beginning in verse 42 and going through verse 48, is a warning to those who would lead the church that they were to never despise the little people. They were to never look down on any group of people as unsavable or undesirable or anything like that. Now, included in this, of course, would be that they would never despise, oppress, exploit, abuse, neglect, or reject the ones that Jesus so deeply loves— And those who have done that are obviously not the true servants of Christ. And Jesus is warning, they will have their place in hell. Again, it's a severe warning against the false leaders, but he holds out the hope of repentance. Now, tragically, see, this is a lesson that was not taken to heart. Now, of course, in the earliest days of the church, yes, the the apostles finally understood this. Jesus was teaching them this as as they were going along, because they, just like everybody else, were thinking in terms of power over people. But Jesus breaks them of that. And of course, we see their subsequent lives and ministries that they, they learned the lesson. But unfortunately, not everyone learned that lesson. And after the the death of the apostles. And as the church went on historically, you had many, many people in many different eras and seasons in the church where this whole understanding was just completely dismissed. And the church bought into the power structures and sought to basically Rule and, and, and have power and lord it over people in the same way that the the kings of the earth did in the opposite way of what Jesus said, things were to be done. And so from the institutionalizing of the church, where the best seats in the house were reserved for the wealthiest, most powerful in society, that happened. Uh, To the church's lust for worldly power that put the church in bed with the state, to even subduing the worldly powers to the point that the kings bowed before the leaders of the church, lest the leaders lose the church's approval. Did you know that at a time in history, the church in Europe specifically had more power than the monarchs? The monarchs were subject to the authority of the church. Because the church held over them the threat of hell. So if you cross us, if you don't acknowledge us, if you don't recognize our power, then we will condemn you. And back in those days, nobody really had a a Bible to the church, kind of took the Bible out of the hands of the common people. And so everybody was just subjected to that. So the history of the church is full of these kinds of things. And we today cannot be ignorant of this reality. You know, it, there's an interesting phenomena that's happening in the culture today. We see Christians being persecuted. We've seen that in the Middle East. And, and so there's, there's talk. And oftentimes in the media in general, there's a reluctance to even admit that Christians are the target and and even people in the, the secular media are noticing this trend and this tendency.
0: For the month of August, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Embodied, Transgender Identities, the Church and What the Bible Has to Say by Preston Sprinkle. What does it mean to be male or female? Is it okay for a male to act feminine or a female to act masculine? Could someone be born in the wrong body and have the soul of another sex? How can I love my trans neighbor, friend, or child in a manner that honors Jesus? Although the topic of transgenderism has been largely avoided, mishandled, or misunderstood by the church, Preston Sprinkle addresses these very questions on a biblical and scientific basis. And he does so with a compassion that has been informed by the voices, needs, and concerns from the people within the trans community. The book Embodied Transgender Identities, The Church and What the Bible Has to Say by Preston Sprinkle is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443. as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.